war going on for your mind. Media mavens mount surgical strikes from trapper keeper collages and online magazine racks. Cover girl cutouts throw up pop-up ads infecting victims with silicone shrapnel. Worldwide passenger business deployed paratroopers. Now it's raining pornography. Lovers take shelter. Post-production debutantes pursue you in NASCAR chariots. They construct ransom letters from biblical passages and bleed mascara into the holy water supplies. There is a war going on for your mind. Industry insiders slang test tube babies to corporate crackheads. They flash logos and blast ghettos. Their embroidered neckties say, stop snitching. Conscious rappers and whistleblowers get stitches made of acupuncture needles and marionette strings. There is a war going on for your mind. Professional wrestlers and vice presidents want you to believe them. The desert sky is their blue screen. They superimpose explosions. They shout at you. Pay no attention to the men behind the barred curtain, nor the craters beneath the tree flags. Those hoods are there for your protection, and the medias these days are the size of corpses. There is a war going on for your mind. We are the insurgents. Podcasting to you from the seaside town of Edmonds, Washington, where I am watching a beautiful sunset over the Olympic Mountains. I am one of your hosts, and my name is Tim Kilkenny. And from Hood River, Oregon, where you made me want to go outside, I'm Andrew Hoffman. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I can actually, I'm actually, I'm facing directly westward now. We moved, moved the quote-unquote studio <laughs> to a, okay. a window that faces this way. But it's not really a studio, it's just a desk with a laptop on it. We had a, a very colorful sunset last night. There you so. go. There you go. Well, good for you. Good, good work. Good work, Hoffman House, with the colorful sunset. <laughs> well, some uh, tonight it's a little stormy out there. There's some bunder, as my daughter says. Hmm, some bunder. Yeah, gotta watch out for that. Well, <laughs> the uh, I don't know if you know, but when you look at a sunset, you didn't do that. The government did that. The government did that. That's right. That's right. You didn't do it. What do you think? What's going on? The new, what's what's been going on as far as you've seen the news? I haven't seen much news. Is that a bad thing to admit? <laughs> no, I mean it, it has been kind of doing a news podcast. Yeah, well, it has been kind of quiet. I I believe you've got more stories in the folder. So let's. What are you? Started off or point me where to go here. Well, everybody's talking about different stuff. I mean, there's a San, you know, there's a spill off of Santa Barbara. Didn't know that oil spill, but I believe you. Oil spill off off the coast of Santa Barbara. Uh, it doesn't look huge yet. I think if it was in California, where all those news people are, they would really have blown it out of proportion. And I don't think they have yet. So maybe it's not too too bad. And then there was. Did you hear about the? Like kidnapping and killing of the DC family. Nope. Yep. There you go. So that was it. I watched the uh, five o'clock national news today. All right. I was just gonna say today was a a bad day for some. I guess China's richest man lost fifteen billion dollars in one hour. Well, I can say, I guarantee, if you follow the Andrew Hoffman ad- investing advice, he will never lose fifteen billion dollars in one hour. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, chairman of solar panel firm Hanergy lost fifteen billion 
on Wednesday when shares of the company plummeted 47% in Hong Kong trading in about an hour. The company saw an $18.6 billion wipe off its market. Trading in Hanergy shares was halted Wednesday, Wednesday pending release, the company said, of an announcement containing inside information. The company has not commented further since, and the shares are still suspended. Lee owns just over 80% of Hanergy. He failed to show up for the company's annual shareholder meeting on Wednesday, which began as the shares were plunging. Company spokesperson said he was attending the opening of Hanergy's Clean Energy Exhibition in Beijing instead. Uh, sure he was. The lack of company statement is adding to the confusion surrounding the stock crash. Bespoke Investment, a New York research and wealth management firm, called the Hanergy story a complete mess. And there was another mystery crash in Hong Kong on Thursday. Golden Financial and Golden Properties, owned by billionaire uh, Pan Sutong, nosedived more than 40%. Both companies said they had no idea why the shares were plunging and that they had no inf inside information or information to disclose <laughs> to uh, investors. Like Hanergy, the two companies had soared to astonishing highs over the last year. Investors, regulators, and analysts have questioned Hanergy's rapid share rise and how the company was turning a profit for months. They've used the company as an example of the risk of investing in emerging markets. Before Wednesday's plunge, Hanergy's shares had surged nearly 625% over the past year, making it seven times bigger than First Solar, the top U.S. solar firm. At its peak in April... The company was worth more than $45 billion, allowing Lee to overtake Alibaba co-founder Jack Ma as China's richest man, according to ranking by Huron released in March. But the climb, the huge climb spurred questions over market manipulation. What? Shocked. It, it happens in China, but never the U.S. Never the U.S., that's right. And more concerns were raised earlier this year when the company said 60% of its sales from its Beijing parent company, Hanergy Holding Group. Uh, Lee is also chairman of the parent. On Wednesday, Reuters reported that Hong Kong uh, Securities and Futures Commissions had been investigating uh, market manipulation for weeks, citing an unidentified source. In recent months, the Financial Times has reported Hanergy's accounting practices and unusual price movements. Hanergy uses specialized technology to create thinner, more flexible solar panels. The company has 15,000 employees and branches all around the globe. So, it would appear that green energy is a scam that is not limited to the United States. Oh, definitely not. <laughs> this is uh, a worldwide phenomenon, and, uh, you know, I'm, you know, shocked to find that this is going on in other countries. Yeah, it's shocked to find uh, scams going on in China. That's that's crazy, and then the, then there's the other one, which also. But I, I like how it says uh, China, China's richest man lost fifteen billion dollars in one hour. Um, China's richest man was sell sell selling while he was hoping everyone else was at the shareholders meeting. <laughs> You're exactly. all the rest of those suckers are the ones who lost the most money. That is, uh, I think. Very true. Um, you know, that's a good point. He he wasn't there because he was attending what? Some other <laughs> Supposedly opening some other some green other energy thing. scam, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing. I mean, we got the same thing here. Elon Musk just, uh, you know, he uh, 
scribbles something on a piece of paper and the whole you know whole country over here falls all over it oh my gosh it's gonna be an electronic wall with solar power it's amazing <laughs> well we talked a couple weeks ago about the um the bubble in tech stocks and tech companies especially venture capital uh tech companies so same same deal and we just talked last week about how, you know, Tesla doesn't really even make money selling cars. They got, you know, they depend on the taxpayer to do so. And uh, I wonder well, how. Well, I, I guarantee you, no one makes money selling, making and selling solar panels if it weren't for government uh, interference. Wasn't it? Wasn't that company subsidy. down there in uh, your old neck of the woods? That one that Barack Obama was touting as a being this, this huge company that was green and it was a, the wave of the future and it was a failed Oregon uh, energy company, wasn't it? Uh, well, I think, well, I'm not sure if that was the same one that was tied in with um, Cynthia Hayes, the fiance of the former governor. But I, I seem to think she, it was wind and solar or something to that effect. Yeah. Yeah. All, all I know is, uh, Hood River has successfully avoided any windmills so far, so I'm happy about that. Um, it's interesting. I actually recently was listening to a totally different podcast. What was it? I think it was the Adam Carolla podcast, and they were talking about uh, all the wind farms and have you ever been to a wind farm? And one one person said, "Yeah, they're really creepy. You go out there and there's this weird noise and it's really creepy." And they say, "Oh yeah, yeah, we got to get more of those wind farms though. You know, it's, it helps with the energy and." And the guy's like, oh, you should go to a wind farm sometime. You can actually watch the birds die. And like they like <laughs> made some sort of a joke and then right, moved right past it. I was like, that was interesting. That's a good way to go. Yeah. A friend of mine that spearheaded the anti-windmill movement, before his uh, YouTube videos that he would post, he would have a like three-second clip showing some um, graceful condor type bird getting smacked down by a windmill wow wow that is something that'll cheer you up but it's all about the environment it's all about the environment it's all about the environment well let's move on to other things um i was interested to uh, a few things transpired at my work and this will kind of take us into a direction at least uh and this is also somewhat local but this is just this afternoon, uh, someone said to me, hey, did you hear about the guys that were shot down in Olympia? So Olympia is the capital city of uh, Washington, you know, about an hour south of Seattle. No, was guys shot in Olympia, what happened? Uh, apparently, and this is a story from Como News uh, right here locally, uh, Olympia cop shoots two unarmed men suspected of stealing beer. Two stepbrothers suspected of trying to steal beer from a... You want to read this? Uh, sure. Just a moment here. Two stepbrothers suspected of trying to steal beer from a grocery store were not armed with guns when they were later shot Thursday by a police officer who confronted them in Washington State's capital city. Remember that for your next game of state capitals. It is not Seattle. It's Olympia. The officer, and just like in Oregon, it's not Portland, it's Salem. Salem? I totally did not. I mean, I think I knew that, but I forgot. 
The officer reported that he was being assaulted with a skateboard before the shooting in Olympia that left one man critically injured and another in stable condition, authorities said. In case you thought you misheard me, I did say assaulted with a skateboard. Yeah. The shooting, which is being investigated by a team of detectives from several agencies, prompted some brief protests. We are committed to helping our community work through this difficult circumstance and help us understand this tragic event. Olympia Police Chief uh, Ronnie, Dar- Ronnie Roberts said at a news conference. Officer Ryan Donald was among those who responded around 1 a.m. to a call from a Safeway, Roberts said. Employees said two men tried to steal beer and then threw the alcohol at workers who confronted the pair. Officers split up to search for the suspects. Donald encountered two men with skateboards who fit witnesses' descriptions, and moments later he radioed in that shots had been fired, the police chief said. In radio calls released by police, Donald calls dispatchers once he spots the men and again to report that he fired shots. I believe one of them is hit. Both of them are running, Donald said. He tells dispatchers that one suspect assaulted me with a skateboard. I tried to grab his friend, Donald said. They're very aggressive, just so you know. He says he has one man, then both at gunpoint and asked for help. Seconds later, he shouts, shots fired, one down, and asked for more backup units. He then says the second suspect has been shot. The police chief said that Donald wasn't injured, but that an officer has the right to defend himself if a suspect wields an object that could be used as a deadly weapon, which is apparently anything. Um, How many skateboard murders were there in the last year, Tim? (laughs) I'll I'll Google that. Hold on. I mean, excuse me. I'll duck, duck, go that. Just one moment. Donald, 35, who is on administrative leave pending the investigation, has been with the department for just over three years. No residents have filed complaints against him, and he was recently recognized by the agency for being proactive on investigations, Robert said. He worked pre- <laughs> yeah, he sounds pretty proactive. <laughs> he worked previously as an Army police officer, the chief said. So he's he had the training that we're all terrorists. Good to know. Uh, the two men were identified as Andre Thompson, 24, and Bryson Chaplin, 21, both of Olympia. The men's mother's same mother of both of them? I guess so. The men's mother spoke with Como News Radio on Thursday morning and said that police came to her home after the shooting and informed her what had happened. She said she can't understand why the officer shot her sons based on a suspicion that they may have been the ones who tried to steal the beer. Even if it was them, did they have to open fire and shoot them? I mean, I heard one was shot in the chest. Was that necessary? I don't think so, she said. I hope she said a lot more than that, but anyway. Uh... They are black and Donald is white, but Robert said, there's no indication to me that race was a factor in this case at all. The shootings follow a string of high-profile killings of unarmed black men by police, including Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, and Eric Garner in New York City, which set off weeks of protests in a national Black Lives Matter movement that has gained momentum across the country. Olympia Mayor Stephen N. Buxbaum called for calm in the community. It deeply saddens me that we have two young people in the hospital as a result of an altercation with an officer of the law, he said. Let's come together to support their needs, the officer's needs, the needs of the families, and our community's needs. Let's not be reactive. Please don't pitchfork me. That's the (laughs) translation. Uh, Merritt Long, a retired chairman of the state's liquor control board, was one of several residents to attend the news conference Thursday. Does the punishment fit the crime, he asked afterward. Given the seeming epidemic of this happening not only here but in our country, it makes you pause and wonder what's going on. 
Absolutely, it does. Um, so after I, I heard that, one friend or one coworker says to me, "Hey, what's going on? This is you know somebody's shot." And then uh, another customer at the at the dealership today says, "Yeah, it sounds like the right reaction, doesn't it?" Uh, some guy steals some beer and you shoot him. And I said, yeah, it's all about the militarization of the police. At which point he says, yep, that's the truth, but at least they're, fi- they're finally stopping all that. I said, hark, hark, I'm sorry, what happened? <laughs> you said, you rang, well, you didn't know? I said, no, I didn't know. He goes, yeah, look it up, it's on the New York Times. So I go to the New York Times and find this from two days ago. Today we're also releasing new policies on the military-style equipment that the federal government uh, has in the past provided to state and local law enforcement agencies. You know, we've seen how militarized gear can sometimes give people a feeling like there's an occupying force as opposed to a force that's part of the community that's protecting them and serving them. (laughs) Can alienate and intimidate local residents and send the wrong message. So we're going to prohibit some equipment made for the battlefield that is not appropriate for local police departments. You know, there's other equipment that may be needed in certain cases, but only with proper training. So we're going to ensure that departments have what they need, but also that they have the training to use it. If we as a society aren't willing to deal honestly with issues of race, then we can't just expect police departments to solve these problems. I'm not sure what kind of a convoluted answer that was. Well, it's, it sounds like you now have to get federal training to get the gear. Mm, interesting way to put that. I, 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 I thought that there was a few interesting points to that. And my, one of my favorite was some. Right, some. Some. So why don't you jump to the New York Times and uh, read that article. Obama puts focus on police success in struggling city in New Jersey. Uh, and uh, we can kind of see what the, the new take here is. Obama's, he's tough on, on cops' crime today for five minutes. For some. Five minutes, yeah. For some military. Okay. Obama puts focus on police success in struggling city in New Jersey. Hmm. Chris Christie's stomping grounds. That's interesting. Uh, President, uh, let's see. President Obama on Monday in Camden, New Jersey, where he hoped to rebut the notion that he is insensitive to the plight of police officers on the front, on the front lines. Uh, President Obama came here on Monday to celebrate the progress a revamped police force has made in building trust between law enforcement and the people of Camden, a rare bright spot in what he has acknowledged as an otherwise troubled relationship between the police and black communities. But as the presidential limousine passed through street after street of decrepit buildings, stopping at a community center so he could talk to young black men and police officers, Mr. Obama confronted a set of problems that have helped define his own complicated relationship with the police. Ever since he said in 2009 that the police acted stupidly in arresting Henry Louis Gates Jr., a black Harvard professor who was a friend of Mr. Obama's outside his Cambridge home, There's been a sense among at least some law enforcement officials that Mr. Obama is not on their side and is suspicious of them and disdainful of their culture. As racially tinged clashes between black men and police officers have cropped up in cities around the country, Mr. Obama has tried to strike a delicate balance in condemning inappropriate police practices without making a blanket condemnation of their profession. Law enforcement officials say he has often fallen short. 
I don't think there's a lot of trust, said Chuck Canterbury, the national president of the Fraternal Order of Police, said in an interview. Too often, Mr. Canterbury said, the president has been quick to assume and to say publicly that police officers acted inappropriately. I know, it's a shocking assumption. Uh, He added that only recently had Mr. Obama begun to even acknowledge the troubling stew of poverty and lack of education and employment opportunity that made police officers' jobs so difficult. There's too many incidents where he has made comments or members of his, his administration have made comments without knowing the facts, Mr. Canterbury said. He has certain views, and they're drawn from his personal experiences and from the advisors he has around him, but it's a skewed view. The strain surfaced late last year after the killing of a young black man by a white police officer in Ferguson, Missouri, and again last month after the death of another black man who had been taken into police custody in Baltimore. But they are nothing new for Mr. Obama, who came of age as a community organizer in Chicago, where the same toxic mix of poverty, racial tension, and lack of opportunity often boiled over into hostility and violence. The president, who spent his childhood in Indonesia and Hawaii and attended elite schools, had a far different experience in his own youth, but as he has talked about having felt racially profiled by the police as a young man. From his earliest days in politics, as an Illinois state senator, Mr. Obama tried to forego, man, this is painful to read, Tim. Okay, we, we want to stop? Well, no, it's just like the New York Times just like glorifying Obama. They're, I don't know, someone's applying for a job at his library or something, I don't know. Well, I mean, it, I think it's an int- I mean, that kind of was the story. That's an interesting slant that, that he's trying to capitalize on. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway, so people are buying it, apparently, you know. That right. uh, at work, or that uh, you know the uh, well, and and Fox News will play their part because they'll play up that Obama's anti-police. That's right. He doesn't care about these Americans. These, these heroes, Tim. These heroes. That's right. Anyone who wears a uniform is a hero. Well, it's interesting too because there is a video that goes along with that story uh, that was a much different, had a much different tone. I'll say. Um, it's like 15 minutes long, but it goes into all of the different um, militarization of the police that's happened over the last, you know, several years. Yeah. yeah. Well, and we, we've talked about it. I mean, we talked about the military equipment. We've been talking about it for so long. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I remember yeah. years ago. People asking me, what's your show about? What are you, what are you focusing but, on? And, and that was one thing that I could answer with. But isn't it interesting? I did, to my knowledge, it hasn't had anything to do with what's gone on, has it? The militarization of the police? No, because um, he's, he's just talking about some of the equipment. Right. No, it's, it has nothing to do with what's been going on. No. So I mean, this, is, this is obviously like a sort of throwing a bone, but um, there's obviously some agenda behind it. I mean, why bring this up? People aren't in the streets saying get rid of the you know, giant SWAT team equipment. Well, no, I wanted to get down to the, so down at the bottom it says, he is from the academic elite, Sheriff Clark says. They sit in those ivory towers not understanding what goes on on ground level in those often very difficult situations. Um, Putting 
those on restricted lists and making it so you're going to have to justify that equipment gives the connotation the police shouldn't have that protection. The fact is a riot can happen in any city in America. And the whole, my whole point of the story is that they dance around the drug war and that that's exactly what it's about. It's always about the drug war right back to prosecuting crimes that are nonviolent and, you know, policing. Well, and no knock SWAT team raids. Exactly. Oops, we got the wrong house. Exactly. Yeah. Which is another big part of what's going on. But it, it's not really talking about stopping that. It's a, you got to get federal training on how to do your SWAT team raids better. I don't know. It's like, there's just more strings to it. From what, what I got from what he said is no definitive declaration whatsoever that anything will stop flowing, you know, that any of this equipment will actually stop flowing. It's just, there's going to be more strings tied to it. Yeah. He's, I, I feel like he's just placating the population with what. It's, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's militarization of police, but it's also federalization of everything education, police, healthcare. Everything's getting federalized where with the top down bureaucratic model that um, is the worst possible way of doing things, but always the solution of, of government. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You got, we got to get some regulation in there. Yeah, we need some police regulators. Speaking of which, Killer Mike was on uh, Bill Maher, and I, 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 I sat through the entire thing. Things I do for this show. I, uh, I sat through the entire episode last night of the Bill Maher with, uh, that had a Killer Mike on it. And uh, I'd like to start off by saying, first off, uh, Bill Maher's not even funny. I don't know if it's because my politics have changed so much anymore or what, but I, I don't even find the guy remotely funny. His monologue, everything that, you know, most everything that takes place on that show is not funny. And just. No, he's, he's snide, but it, he's not clever at all. No, it's he's just... not. He's not clever. Very, very snide, very, very arrogant. And anyway, it began to kind of. I, I began to kind of realize why Killer Mike was there. After watching it for a little while, but I'll, I'll get back to that in a minute. Uh, most of it is just go, go government. Yay. We worship the state. Like the whole thing is worship the state and, you know, government regulations is the answer and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, but, you know, not to disappoint, Killer Mike did have some really great points. He, he actually said that, uh, Bill O'Reilly, the character is hilarious, but he hates old white people who take him seriously. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then Bill Maher says that that's not a character. That's really who Bill O'Reilly is. And he says, no, he's he's more full of crap than an outhouse. <laughs> it's a pretty good little snippet right there that, that you could pull away from it. But one thing I was pretty disappointed at, and I, I guess it makes some sense having heard his some of his music or whatever, but uh, he's pretty hard on all three Abrahamic faiths. So he says we should get rid of... Uh, Killer Mike actually said that we should get rid of all three Abrahamic faiths because of the uh, all the violence that they cause. That old straw mm. man, yeah, that old straw yep. man argument. So nobody can be perfect. It's a shame that that's the uh, the route he takes. But uh, almost every, every every other thing he said, I did agree with and enjoyed. Uh, he's a force to be reckoned with, not only because he's really bright, but he's actually enormous. He's an enormous man. So uh, every time he spoke, everyone like really stopped and listened, and he had to like. Try- kind of temper himself back because uh he was easily easily stealing the show 
Um, so it was slightly disappointing, except for that. And if you want to search it out, I mean, I'll, I'll throw a link to that video in the show notes or whatever. But uh, there, where, where he talks about Bill O'Reilly, it's pretty priceless. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, O'Reilly, what's his deal now? He's got domestic violence charges against him or something. Or accusations. I don't know if it's... I think it's in a divorce. Oh, okay. I had no idea. Yeah, th- I think uh, Killer Mike said that he's as phony as those books that he writes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yep. Might be a little uncomfortable for Bill Maher to hear that since he's a big phony as well. But That's right, that's right. But uh, I quickly realized after he went on his anti-Abrahamic uh, faiths rant uh, why... A, he was there in the first place, and B, this Muslim activist that was also on the show was not in the same room uh, when that whole thing happened. It's kind of interesting. So, hmm. uh, seemed very scripted. Killer Mike did he dropped some 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 uh, interesting clips, but uh, overall disappointing. And gosh, sitting through an hour of Bill Maher, his new rules and all that. I mean, he's really developed a an audience of just. Just worshippers of the state, you know, and they, they, they it hate. can't be as bad as Keith Olbermann, though, right? Mm, I don't know. I haven't listened to Keith in a long time, but this this audience is pretty much uh, all conservatives are dumb God believers, and uh, yeah, yeah, and I the mean, state is amazing. I mean, that's that's pretty much that sums up the feeling and the idea of the whole show and the stuff well, these you, people you, cheer for was a just just. It was atrocious. It's just atrocious. Like I, I found myself like mocking. Like I was raising my hands and doing like a mock cheer just so I didn't lose my mind. <laughs> well, the Whoa, uh, government more regulation, yeah. We, you know, I mean, this is very clear in the Bible that um, human beings all worship, right? right. It's not like uh, you need to worship. That's never. There's no Bible verses. Mm. Uh, about that you need to learn how to worship. It's sure. who you worship. That's interesting. So if if you don't worship God, you will worship something else, and that something else will be an idol, whether it's, uh, you know, government or uh, global warming propaganda, environmentalist stuff, I mean, whatever it is. But you, uh, celebrities um, and... Yes, atheists, you worship things as well. All right, I've got two quick, two quick and related things okay. for you, and and uh, one of them actually has a not short enough clip, but it's about two and a half minutes. Okay. Uh, Peter King accuses Rand Paul of spreading fear with Patriot Act filibuster, and okay. this comes from Infowars. First of all, a little background on Peter King. You've heard Peter King quotes on the show before. Uh, he is the hyper-terrorism propaganda guy. Okay. The inherent irony of um, him saying anyone else in the on the planet is spreading more fear than him is it's just over the top. 
This is the Senate floor. Senator Rand Paul is starting now what appears to be a filibuster again over an extension of the Patriot Act. He's been going on now for about 45 minutes. Of course, that act includes the NSA surveillance of millions of your phone calls. The House passed a separate bill that alters that provision, but Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is asking for an extension of the existing law, not a vote on the new one. Rand Paul thinks neither bill goes far enough to give Americans back their liberties. So here's what the senator had to say a bit earlier. Listen to this. And yet it looks like the majority in this body still says we need bulk collection. In fact, the biggest complaint from the majority in this party, the majority in this body, is we're not collecting enough records, that we need to collect more records. Can you have security and liberty at the same time? All right, so Congressman King, if you're still with me, uh, Rand Paul looks like he may be going for a long time again. He did this before in the past. He could go on for, uh, they have nothing else on the schedule, uh, till the morning. So if he wants, he could go a while. What do you think? I strongly disagree with Rand Paul. I think the NSA is essential. I think that the uh, NSA, first of all, I know they're not listening to anyone's phone calls or reading anyone's emails. What they do is they store collections of phone numbers. Uh, and so if we find out that an American is been speaking to a terrorist overseas, that that, then the Justice Department goes to court to get a court order. The fact is that the NSA listens to no one's at all. They just collect this information. It's essential to our security. I think Rand Paul is wrong. I agree with Mitch, uh, Mitch McConnell. I think the uh, law should be extended as it is. I voted for the bill in the House because that's the only one we can get through. But I, I think Senator Paul is doing a disservice to the country when he makes these charges. He's making the CIA and the NSA the enemy. The fact is the enemy is Al-Qaeda, and we are not sacrificing any liberty. Right. So the House passed the USA Freedom Act overwhelmingly by a margin of 338 to 88 last week. But, Congressman, you know, there are a lot of people who are watching right now and people in America in general who agree with Rand Paul. They think that the NSA went too far. What would you say to them? I totally disagree. The NSA, I've been on the Intelligence Committee, I monitor the NSA. They do nothing without getting court approval, without reporting to the Intelligence Committee, and there are more safeguards in place with the NSA than anyone could believe. And the fact is, it's Rand Paul who spreads this type of misinformation and spreads fear. He's really doing a disservice, the same the way he did when he filibustered the last time and said he was worried about the CIA killing Americans drinking coffee at Starbucks with drones. I mean, no, this is wrong, and that's why I strongly oppose Rand Paul and his ideology and philosophy. All right, uh, Congressman Peter King, thank you so much for your thoughts. So how dare that Rand Paul fearmonger about the wonderful NSA and CIA? Because they've never listened to anyone's phone calls, Tim. No, they just store phone numbers, just a list of phone numbers. Just That's it. All that stuff about thousands of occurrences of them, you know, listening in on ex-wives' phone conversations, all that, uh, just... It's imaginary. Never happened. Never even happened. Um, and just because the law specifically says they can do that, there's no reason to think they will. I mean, why why not allow them to do it since we know they won't do it? <laughs> I mean, there's a certain uh, element of irony in saying they're not listening to anyone's phone calls but I strongly oppose someone who's saying we shouldn't let them listen to our phone calls. Absolutely. So th- this article is um, worth reading uh, because it touches on many of the same points that, that we've talked about in the past. Actually, who, the two that we usually talk about are Lindsey Graham and John McCain, right? 
they're like the perfect New World Order puppets. Right. They're combination of liberal and conservative, and they're on the exact wrong side of every single issue. Yes. So where you know you take someone like Bernie Sanders, and he's you know crazy liberal, but he's you would agree with them on some stuff and strongly disagree on others. Um, even someone like let's say Ted Cruz, you on the conservative side, you'd agree with them on some things, disagree on others. But uh, these guys disagree on everything. So he, here we go. Um, they're not listening to anyone's phone calls or reading anyone's emails, said King, asserting that just Americans' phone numbers are being stored by the federal agency and could only be investigated after court order. Which, by the way, he makes it sound like it's an open court, like real civilian court when it's just a secret, you know, sign-off. You just find some lawyer like Judge Johnson to, to sign off on it and do whatever you want. Uh, in reality, following the Edward Snowden leaks in 2013, it was reported that during a secret briefing to members of Congress, Democratic Congressman Jared Nadler was told that the contents of a domestic phone call could be accessed simply based on an analyst deciding that. No court authorization was necessary. Based on the same legal standard, the NSA could also access and read Americans' emails and text messages without the need for any court approval. The NSA frequently eavesdrops on Americans' calls and reads their emails without any individualized warrants, exactly that which the NSA defenders, including Obama, are trying to make Americans believe does not take place, wrote Glenn Greenwald. King's claim that the NSA can do nothing without court approval is completely false. In addition uh, during a sworn declaration to the United States District Court for the Northern District of California, former NSA mathematician William Binney said that, that the federal agency has the capability to do individualized searches similar to Google for particularly for particular electronic communications in real time through such criteria as target addresses, locations, countries, and phone numbers, as well as watch listed names, keywords, and phrases and email. Senator and uh, back to Peter King's quotes there. Senator Paul is doing a disservice to the country when he makes these charges. He's making the CIA and the NSA the enemy, said King during his ap appearance on Fox News, charging that Paul was spreading fear, misinformation, and that we are not sacrificing any liberty. <laughs> and this is the commentary. Peter King is the congressman from hell. It's as if Satan himself personally dispatched King to Earth with orders to radiate perpetual evil. Normally, normally a rate representative on either the left or the right will advocate at least some pro-liberty policies, even if you disagree with most of what they say. King is devoid of any redeeming qualities whatsoever. He's neither a liberal nor a conservative, but a kind of weird hybrid which combines the very worst aspects of both, the quintessential rhino. If John McCain and Lindsey Graham were cloned and combined in some nightmarish scientific experiment, Peter King would be the result. So <laughs> there, there you go, John McCain and Lindsey Graham. Uh, pro-war, pro-spy, and pro-Patriot Act, pro-drone strikes, pro-banker bailout, King was even endorsed twice by the pro-gun control Brady campaign. King has virtually no conservative principles at all, and yet has somehow been masquerading as a Republican congressman for over two decades. <laughs> I like so, it. I like it. Yeah. That was, I thought that was pretty good. And in a related story, we've got, uh, let me get back there. 
I want you to do the birth repair story, Tim, because I thought you were going there. You know, you had the Olympia, Olympia story, and then the, you were going to do the Seattle story, but um, we'll go back there. But real quick, um, 10 Ridiculous Quotes by Lindsey Graham. Okay. Did you know that he's running for president? I did not. So there you go. If you want to, I guess you, you're thinking to yourself, man, I just really wish I had someone worse than Jeb Bush or Hillary Clinton to vote for. <laughs> Lindsey Graham says, I want to be your president. All right. Um, so here are the top 10 things on his intention to run for president. I'm running because I think the world is falling apart. <laughs> and that um, on Syria, the world is literally about to blow up, and our president did not really paint a fair picture of the threats we face. I, I, uh, I, on my watching of mainstream news today, I saw that ISIS has taken over fifty percent of Syria. Fifty percent, man. Fifty percent. Fifty percent of Syria is ISIS by, now. By population. Dude, it doesn't matter. They're just taking <laughs> over 50%. All right. There's a pie. ISIS ate half of it. <laughs> I heard they took another city in Iraq, too. Yeah. So. They're getting bigger. If only we could figure out how to stop them. So, um, once again, that quote from Lindsey Graham the world is literally about to blow up. Okay. You keep using that word, but I don't think that word means what you think it means. Yes. Uh, Senator Lindsey Graham was one of the biggest advocates of U.S. military intervention in Syria in 2012. I mean, we had to do it. Remember that? We had to go in. The, the, they're going to attack America tomorrow if we don't. And that was 2012. Uh, the Syria strike resolution was ultimately never voted on, and the world has not blown up. Literally has not blown up. <laughs> uh, quote number three. I think TARP was... Ne- uh, tarp one was necessary because the whole economy was going to collapse and Bernanke, Paulson and everybody that I know and quite frankly trust after Lehman Brothers went down that if we had not involved ourselves quickly, you'd have a financial meltdown. So there you go. Pro banker bailout. Woo! Uh, Senator Lindsey Graham voted in favor of the troubled asset relief program or TARP also known as a $700 billion bank bailout. Simply put, taxpayers should not be on the hook to pay for the bad decisions of, of big banks. Uh, number four, free speech is a great idea, but we're in a war. Okay. And I'm going to skip the commentary. We'll just skip with the quotes or stick with the quotes here. Uh, number five, we live in the most dangerous times imaginable. Really? <laughs> No, crime is down. Terrorist attacks are unlikely. Well, I mean, just, you know, I don't know. Going to a new continent, riding in packed immigration or slave ships across the ocean. But I would say even within the last hundred years, uh, World War II, probably more dangerous. You think so, huh? Hmm. Yeah. Then, uh, then ISIS, yeah, a little more, a little more real danger than ISIS. Uh, num- number six on Iran, we're walking down the road to Armageddon. We have about 18 months using the international community to decisively act. And I would assume that quote's from less than 18 months ago, right, Tim? Otherwise, 
it's Armageddon. And that was from 2009. So, number seven, when asked how long U.S. troops need to stay in Iraq in 2003, perhaps a year or more. If we're there through 2009, something went wrong. Hmm. (laughs) Something went wrong, apparently. Uh, Even though he was never critical of it. Number eight, on Edward Snowden. I hope we'll chase him to the ends of the earth. Okay. Apparently, Edward Snowden is the big threat to America, almost as big as ISIS. Number nine, if I'm president of the United States and you're thinking about joining Al-Qaeda or ISIL, uh, I'm not going to call a judge. I'm going to call a drone and we will kill you. Whoa. There you go. So... If you're thinking about drone, so if you're thinking about, if you're thinking about, don't think about it, Tim. Don't think. It, did you think about it? I was thinking about joining th- ISIS oh, just now. You thought about joining Al Qaeda just now. Lindsey Graham will send a drone to kill you. Oh, because apparently he knows what you're thinking about. That's unfortunate. So, ah, I thought about it. Bad idea. Oh, too late. You thought about it. Done. Oh, and then he follows it up with number 10. And when they say, I want my lawyer, you tell them, shut up. You don't get a lawyer. (laughs) So you think about joining ISIS, you get droned, and you don't get a lawyer. You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. (laughs) Did Did you ever watch that in school, Tim? Princess Bride in school? Yeah. No, I didn't go to an awesome school. That's uh, one of the advantages of going to a Christian school. Apparently, Princess Bride has approved, uh, approved like end of the quarter. You know, don't really have anything left to do. You watch Princess Bride. I probably watched it four or five times in school growing up. That's insane. Not all of us were went to homeschool, Andrew. <laughs> well, I, that wasn't during homeschool. But. You're like, homeschool was way harder than that. <laughs> homeschool, I was done by usually 10 in the morning, so. Good night. What would you do with all of your time? I would uh, go outside and play. That's weird. <laughs> okay, so, you want me to go back, to come back, to be local? Yeah, I want to hear about Bertha. Bertha repair will take longer because there's more damage. And for those of you that don't know, Bertha is the drill that the Seattle city is using to drill a giant tunnel underneath the downtown, which is mm, 200 feet from the sound uh, where it's a uh, very deep water. <laughs> so uh, also it's been stuck for over a year, has only made it a few hundred feet and has been uh, pulled out under emergency circumstances. Now that the stalled tunnel machines, Bertha's front end has been disassembled. The damage looks even worse than project experts thought and contractors will miss their goal to resume digging in August. Not only did grit penetrate the rubber bearing seals, but the steel casings around the seals broke apart, sending fragments deep into the drive gears. Teeth were cracked into the giant bull gear, which rotates the circular drill face and even deeper into pinion gears that are spun by the 24 electric motors. The bleak news was revealed Monday morning by Todd Trampanier, Administrator for the state's Highway 99 Replacement Project. 
at a Seattle City Council briefing. Bertha, the world's biggest tunnel boring machine, overheated, installed on December 6, wait for it, 2013. Mm. Putting the opening of a four-lane tunnel some two years behind schedule into early 2017. The machine is stuck near Pioneer Square some 1,000 feet. Oh, I'm sorry, it made it 1,000 feet. Into the 9,200-foot journey from Soto to South Lake Union. Routes have blamed, or excuse me, contractors have blamed a steel pipe left over from state groundwater testing, but the extensive damage suggests that the machine may have suffered from additional problems or weaknesses. Hitachi Zoen, which built the $80 million 57-foot 4-inch diameter machine, is replacing or retrofitting virtually the entire front end. I was going to say, it sounds like they're going to have to rebuild the thing. Chris Dixon, project manager for Seattle Tunnel Partners, did, an, did acknowledge last winter that his August timeline was aggressive. STP Hitachi Zozen uh, didn't return calls Monday afternoon. Despite the extensive damage, Trapanier said that the broken and chip parts, gears included, already were already scheduled for replacement. So that damage they didn't expect to see is not causing additional additional time to delay the repair, he told reporters. So in this case, why would the STP miss the August goal? Trapanier said the schedule questions for contractors. Uh, that's a schedule question for contractors who are supposed to give the Washington State Department of Transportation a new timeline in June. <laughs> But the state announced that STP is adding a task to replace not only the outer seals that were known to be damaged, but also to replace Bertha's inner seals to make them more compatible with the new outer seals and easier to access should the need arise. Read, we find another pipe that we didn't know was buried and we run right into it, putting this project behind by a million years. A statement said, <laughs> those new inner seals are scheduled to arrive in May from Japan. Council members at the Monday briefing showed a lack of patience with the project, posing questions about how anybody can know if Bertha will even survive the next mile and a half of drilling towards South Lake Union and how long it will take. Council member Tom Rasmussen raised a formally taboo question of whether SDOT might someday wind up, wind up hiring a new contractor. So WSDOT is Washington State Department of Transportation. In this open-ended... Is this open-ended or is there a deadline at some point? Two years? Five years? Ten years? Is there something out there, he asked. Trampineer said that the Washington State Department of Transportation shares the council's frustration. He urged members to keep in mind STP is making progress on every other area of the project, particularly the north and south entrances to the tunnel. <laughs> you won't have a tunnel, but you'll have the entrances. Back to the entrances are almost done. That's always good. Council member Mike O'Brien, a former state Sierra Club chairman and early opponent of the tunnel, said he didn't change builders as an option. He didn't see changing builders as an option. Ah, the Sierra Club chairman. That's interesting. We should look into that further. How does a Sierra Club chairman end up as a council member, and he's against the tunnel, but now he's making excuses for it? What is going on there? Unless we're planning to throw billions and billions more at this, it's getting pretty unrealistic, he said. Oh, he's not defending it. Thank goodness. No, Knowing he's, what's, he's saying it's unrealistic to change contractors. Ah, Knowing what's known now, it seems unlikely any other company would want to touch the job. Are you kidding me? That's a bonanza. <laughs> would you take the job, Andrew? Uh, last time I checked, contractors still get paid even when their project goes years and years over. It's like, hey, 
I don't even need a sales guy. I can just <laughs> use this job for the next 10 years, charge overtime, act like we're trying hard, you know. Okay, well, we're going to work some overtime, try to get this done. This is how it's done, just on a massive scale. <laughs> uh, I kind I kind of think we're stuck with STP. It's not clear what their finances are and how long they're going to be able to or they're going to stay with us. I it's it's fairly clear how good their finances are. Well, let's see. How much money have you paid him? However, he has question. Uh, I'm going to say WS dot because that's the abbreviation for Washington State Department of Transportation. Uh, he has question WS dot several times this year about how much the old Alaska Way viaduct can sink or crack before it's taken out of service for safety. By the way, the viaduct that they're replacing still up throughout while they drill underneath it with water table several hundred feet, maybe a thousand feet away. Uh, State engineered have answered that there's little sideways twisting uh, or of the type that can cause a rapid failure of the concrete beams, so the highway remains safe to drive on, barring an earthquake. Read, barring an earthquake. <laughs> the tunnel was always high risk because the size and the soil conditions are beyond precedent, Boston consultant Tom Neff warned in 2010 in a report from then-Mayor Mike McGinn. What does a Boston consultant know about digging a tunnel? <laughs> Bertha remains under warranty until 1,500 feet just before it would drive beneath the old viaduct and pass through downtown, which is the nightmare scenario. Once it goes into that Oh, it's, it's under warranty until 1,500 feet. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So they made it just, what, 500 feet short of the warranty? Mm. It's like having your car break down on 49,000 miles. Yeah, it's actually mile warranty. lucked out on that. Yeah. In addition, Dixon has said Hitachi Zosin is currently funding the machine retrofits while major partners are uh, partners Dragados USA and Tudor Perini pay for the deep repair vault. Cash flow continues from, w- from WSDOT as it pays for work at the north and south ends in early stages of the tunnel's road deck but withholds money based on Bertha's lack of progress. The state so far has paid about $1 billion towards the $1.35 billion contract. That doesn't count overruns, which may take years of talks and lawsuits to settle. In related news, Trepanier also said the soil around Bertha remains stable at about one and one quarter inches net loss since November along the viaduct in Pioneer Square, based on current measurements. Three geotechnical reports were finished recently, he said, two of which blame other construction around Pioneer Square for contributing to ground sinking. It's old. <laughs> it's really, really old. They call it Pioneer Square for a reason. Yeah, so. the, <laughs> these old these old buildings weren't built, you know. <laughs> they didn't use the current safety standards. Of course they didn't. You can walk underground. It's a, uh. Anyway, satellite-based downtown data shows at least seven spots around Yesler Way and Western Avenue lost three or four inches between 2010 and 2013 before the tunnel project commenced. But the, So they're trying to say it was already sinking. Mm. But the leading culprit remains deep groundwater pumping related to excavating a 120-foot deep access vault to reach Bertha near Main Street at the waterfront. This is due to the very rapid settlement of an inch or more in November of 2014. This uh, That's pretty rapid settlement. So I guess everything settled like one inch in a very short amount of time. The city has begun to replace damaged 
cast iron water main under Western Avenue. Negotiations have begun over whether the state will pay for it and the resolution will likely take months. We're focused on what we consider a public safety threat. Getting the line replaced, said Jonathan Laser, Deputy City Transportation Director. Why are we reading that story from my hometown of Seattle, Andrew? Because that, that's government in a nutshell. It is. It's government planning and government regulation and government... Uh, Waste, fraud, and abuse. That's we'll right. find out about the fraud part later. Well, yep. But uh, we voted on this three times. We said no every time, and they decided to build it anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, there's the government for you. Um, let's go to the other one I threw in here. And this is an interesting post. I encourage everybody to read this post. But I am actually just going to read the numbered things. Let's see. Uh, I'm just going to read the num- the bullet points. But this was a very interesting article. It's kind of... <laughs> it's like... The numbered things. Okay. Sorry. The bullet points. All right. I'm, All right. I'm, 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 I'm having a, a tough day today. I, I just... I didn't know I was so, uh, I think I need something to eat. I got a little blood sugar for the show. Mm. So anyway, Reddit, the story is how Reddit was ruined. And I found it to be very interesting. I encourage people to come to the show notes, look at this uh, title and, and then go in and read it. But there's a few things about Reddit that I found to be very, very interesting. First off, the first thing they did was take away our Reddit, which was a communicating tool about Reddit. Uh, it helped people talk back and forth. Power now resided in a few individual subreddits. Excuse me. These are all reasons listed out about how Reddit has been taken over. So, for those of us who aren't familiar with Reddit, how would you explain it, Andrew? I guess you're not on there very much, so I should probably explain it. Never been there. Yeah. It is a crowd. It's kind of a mass site, like a. It's a bunch of forums that pop up over mildly interest, mildly interesting things that take place on the internet, or pictures that are found, or whatever. And it's kind of, kind of spontaneous threads, or or you know, forums based on those things. It's a great way to share information, but there is a couple of very interesting things that took place. And lately, this is also where I had my infamous, uh, they should take your kids away, my non-existent kids away because I don't, I don't vaccinate, um, episode. So let's, let's take that into account. So the first thing they did was take number one. The first thing they did was take away our Reddit. They took away the tool for communicating with Reddit about Reddit. If you have any concerns about the website as a whole, you could address them through our Reddit. Taking that away was step number one. Number two, the power resided in individual subreddits, obviously the most popular ones. So there was a power grab to become the moderators of these subreddits. I remember the upcoming election loons and all of a sudden, one of the old default subreddits became completely obsessed with bashing Ron Paul. I'm not even a Ron Paul supporter, but that was definitely orchestrated and not by some kids trying to be funny. Also, it coincided perfectly with the highly suspicious campaign to filter him out of Reddit posts around the time of the election. Number three, once the default subreddits were controlled, drastic changes began to occur. I remember when uh, I. AMA, which is Ask Me Anything, was open to anyone and the popularity was decided by voting. This is interesting, Andrew. Now it is nothing more than a cheap place for celebrities to whore out their products and that need to be, that you need to be approved. Someone named Victoria is involved and how that, 
how does that make any sense whatsoever? Celebrities have entire teams of branding slash PR slash social media teams that work for them. Why do they need to be at Reddit headquarters or have a require require or required to have a Reddit rep? Because these AMAs are extremely organized and sponsored with money. There are plenty of subreddits that are now covertly controlled. Check out this post, which was published into Undelete for identifying a list of keywords banned from our technology. The appearance of shills soon became very apparent. Number four. All of a sudden, new accounts started popping up out of nowhere. Cue the birth of R. Hale Corporate and feel-good military posts started appearing, like a soldier coming home to see his dog. New users entered the AMA to lob softball questions. Mr. Burns, your campaign has the momentum of a runaway freight train. How does it feel to be so popular? From a <laughs> brand new account that never posted again. Elgin Air Force Base equals Reddit's at most addicted city. That was a post. I would hate to be the poor Reddit's intern who got fired that day. Didn't you read the memo, Billy? U.S. military bases should never be included in our yearly stats. So that's another post that happened. Eglin Air Force Base was the highest percentage of Reddit users per population. And then uh, that post completely disappeared and the moderator was then fired. Uh, <laughs> anyone who tries to convince you that shills don't exist is either grossly uninformed or a liar. Um, the big political subreddits can't seem to keep the seal on this whole scam that's go during the weekends, almost as if an entire team of manipulators is suddenly on weekend hours. <laughs> now we have blatant censorship on our news, our world news, saying that X site is not allowed. Whatever happened to letting the people vote on the content of the website? That was number five. Um, trash tabloids constantly go vir viral on political subreddits due to sensationalized headlines and the fact that most Americans are unaware of different overseas publications. Not to mention the fact that default subreddit rules are now completely refined, sophisticated and purposely worded to allow maximum mod interpretation. Honestly, someone with a law degree would be proud. Major politically charged subreddits now exist on exact titles or quotes because that stops users from being able to post the most important point summary of the article as the title using only official titles from only approved media has turned into a reddit mainstream has turned reddit into mainstream media so if you <laughs> catch that so if you post a story right. you can't pull the quote that you find to be the most interesting you have to use the approved story title the reason i'm reading this and, the, and i think the better way i could have led into this to explain it as i'm reading through it again the second time is that reddit was a crowd sourced tool it was something that people would vote up so you would you would if you saw something you like you would give it an upvote you can also give it a downvote unlike facebook you can like it and dislike it mm -hmm. so and because of that what would always filter its way to the top is some pretty interesting stuff but what's happened is this is that was too great of a tool to be used by us by you know us us mere uh citizens here in the in the u.s of a and now they have totally clamped down and this person is going through and, and listing out exactly how number six speaking of voting they changed that too now we have an entirely new way to upvote and downvote scores a user used to be able to always see their own score but now everything is fuzz for example if you made a semi-controversial comment before but many people agreed you may have a score like 47 out of 45 leaving you with a negative two in next to the comment now you just get a negative two and nobody knows if anyone ever agreed with you. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah. 
Okay, number seven. Hey guys, us nerds who run Reddit have decided to shuffle all the front page subreddits. Teehee, we're so random. Now more of the the scam. That pesky subreddit that hits too close to home. Let's add two times to the mix. Even though they wanted to remain an anonymous subreddit, let's show the shareholders we represent the female demographic and let's add a bunch of subs that we can use to share propaganda like R not the onion. And speaking of the female demographic and gender discrimination being represented, that happens to be around the time that this person took over as Reddit CEO. And that's actually how I found this post was I was investigating this person who is uh, Ellen Powell, who actually happens to be married to a hedge fund manager. You cannot make this stuff up. Hmm. You're posting too much, so please wait. Doesn't matter if you've confirmed your email or have been posting on the site for years. If you anger the wrong mod or admins and you aren't doing well, then you get benched. Or you can always just have the comments deleted. You will not even know your comment is undeleted. Or excuse me, that your comment's deleted. You will still see it. Only you. The only way... Oh, wow. The only way to know is to be inherently suspicious and sign out of your account after clicking on the permanent link of the comment. A sneaky tactic, but hey... At least it's only your comment and not the account as a whole. Isn't it great that we have shadow banning on a website that claims to support free speech? Reddit, number nine. Reddit is not a meritocracy. Your downvotes, excuse me, your votes do not matter. The front page is not decided on merit. Different subs are given different algorithm rhythms, and there is a behind-the-scenes ranking system that gives certain content a head start, as we have learned at Our Conspiracy, which is probably one of the ones I visit the most. If they don't like our sub, then we are banished from the front page forever, like when we got banished from Our Best Of after this amazing comment that was eight times gilded received over 3,000 upvotes. They actually gave the user the boot. How dare you bring your unique first-hand perspective to a web forum? So I went to the link's amazing comment, and it talked about a visit to Israel and what he found when he was in Israel and what a wonderful place it was and how neat it was. And then he went across to, to the Gaza Strip and saw what a terrible place it was and basically posted that he's not political, but this was his experience when he went there. It made it all the way to the front page in a very short amount of time, and then they actually kicked the guy off Reddit. <laughs> Number 10, yeah. the, arise, the arrival and subsequent takeover of R undelete. So when I keep saying R this or R that, these are all little subsections of the site of Reddit. Mm -hmm. So these are subreddits. The arrival and takeover of subreddit undelete. Due to the rampant censorship now on the site, users took it to their own hands to bring the truth to light, and they created a part of Reddit where users can see what was being deleted. Nope. So then he goes on to explain how that was uh, taken over. Number 11. Now we are seeing a new site-wide trend that is designed to make it even harder to call out shills, which is interesting considering that nobody seems to care when the accusations are sponsored by the mob. This guy is a Putin bot. Everyone must think the exact same way about complex geo uh, geopolitical events. Number 12. All the proper checks and balances are now in place. Our world news has become the ultimate modern-day version of the two minutes of hate from George Orwell's 1984, <laughs> a daily period in which the party members of the Society of Oceania must watch a film depicting the party's enemies and express their hatred for them. But when we really want to drive a point home, the entire front page goes into action. Look what happened in the immediate aftermath of the Boston bombing. And this is, this is the part that I found to be 
the most uh, interesting and, and reason I'm reading this now. If you remember way, way back when the Boston bombing happened, I was on Reddit mm-hmm. and everybody was crowdsourcing pictures and going through and trying to figure out out of this crowd who the bomber is. And that was, I was proud of that. I thought it was awesome. Alex Jones thought it was awesome. Everybody was like, this is great. We're using this stuff against them. This is what happened. In the immediate aftermath of the Boston bombing, while users were still pooling resources, the website was DDoS attack to stop the momentum. Good thing, too, since moments later, the honest government said, hey, everybody, these guys did it. For argument's sake, despite anything that followed, it should be extremely alarming that millions of people suddenly decided they were guilty based on nothing more than a picture, the government's word, and the manufactured consensus of their peers. I was on Reddit in the exact moment the shift happened, and nobody could tell why they suddenly be- nobody could tell me why they suddenly believe without any other evidence that two people attending the marathon with a circle around them was evidence of their guilt, and I was gang downvoted every single time I asked. And speaking of the Boston bombing, Reddit will apparently never live down the fact that someone was wrongly accused. Why should a community be demonized for aggregating information and doing something that has been proven to be successful in 90% of cases, particularly disasters? Why? Because the government can't have people doing their own detective work, and that would make their cover-ups way more difficult. Number 13. Online Guerrilla Tactics When Reddit changed the voting system and people were on their last nerve with this site, a place called Whoaverse became popular overnight. It is basically a Reddit clone, and at this time was run by one guy. And at the time was run by one guy. He was happy about the surge, but mentioned it was going to be hard to keep up with, but was committed to making it happen. Guess what happened next? Did you guess? Thousands of targeted spam attacks to overload and destroy their website. Then, congrats, you now understand how these, how far these people are willing to go to keep you, uh, to keep the herd in their pen. Hijacking a cool brand and using its facade to conduct propaganda games is extremely profitable. Just ask Vice. And once you have this customer, it costs more to it costs much less to keep them than to acquire new ones. So we are seeing online guerrilla tactics designed to destroy the competition by any means. Number 14, Shark Shanks Redemption. So I made this post and it went viral on our conspiracy reaching 3,500. I woke up the next day and by accident signed out and saw my user page could no longer be found. I then noticed that every comment I ever made was stuck at one upvote. After 6.5 years on Reddit, I had received my first shadow ban. So I made a new account and made this post about it. It also went viral. I was given advice to message the Reddit admins about my shadow ban, and I eventually received this message. It looks like you got caught up in the whole vote brigade, but further investigation, it looks like you were not part of it. Thanks for writing in so promptly, and I've unbanned your account. I have no idea what vote brigade I would have to be part of and what and uh, you don't have to believe me that I've never been part of anything that even vaguely resembles a vote brigade. Anyway, <laughs> the whole thing stinks to me like a canned response. The admin version of, yeah, our bad. Multiple years on Reddit and I get my first shadow ban accidentally within a day and a half of my most viral post, how Reddit was destroyed. It wasn't always like this. A few years ago, there were just as many disagreements and differences of opinion on Reddit, but they were real. And the site was still a democracy. People voted and things swung from side to side and everybody learned in the end. 
Now we have a completely one-sided mess that pretends to be democratic, but is quickly becoming the Fox News of the Internet. They designed a system that would take advantage of the eternal September syndrome, and this manipulation has encouraged the retarded masses to become useful idiots. I believe this can essentially be boiled down to not just greed, but controlling and manipulating the information that millions of people see on a daily basis. Reddit gets billions of views, manufactured consensus is very real, and doing it through social media is the gold standard because people are hardwired to value the opinions of their peers. The people who run Reddit are not cool bloggers They try to pers- that they try to portray themselves as. There is, <clears throat> there is a head running things, and it's sinister, and they are making a lot of money, and they have a lot of power and a lot of influence, and they know it. You should, too. Fun fact, type this search into Reddit how Reddit was destroyed. Now look at all the random subreddits that exist just to mock outside-the-box thinking. Saw a quote the other day on Reddit that I really liked, and it just said, Reddit died with Aaron Schwartz. Mm. Two things killed it. it was Aaron Schwartz, uh, Aaron Schwartz's suicide and then uh, the Boston bombing thing. Those two things together were more than it could handle. Um, I just basically read something that even though I've been kind of rambling and did a poor description of what Reddit was, I just read something that was incredibly uh, cathartic for me. <laughs> and for anyone out there who listens to this show who also has been on Reddit at, uh, for any length of time and noticed the change, I hope it's cathartic for you as well. It's not all in your head. They've taken that site over. And it's a good example of a, of the people being able to choose their own content, choose what's important, upvote and downvote based on what they're interested in, and that becoming a very popular and powerful tool, and then how it was hijacked and why. And, if, and especially the timing of which, and I couldn't, I couldn't have said it better than him, that the Boston bombing was the major turning point for Reddit. Now go on there and say that you don't want to vaccinate your child and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And these are not necessarily people who are designed designed people who are would lean towards being you know rabid against anti-vaxxers these are a lot of trendy liberal type kids so the idea that that would be such a counterproductive argument i mean it just Mm -hmm. it the whole thing just the whole thing just stinks and i hope that somebody reads you know listens to this podcast or goes and reads that article and it helps them out to to realize that the tool that it is and how it's being used i've heard uh James Corbett referred to it several times as the hive mind on Reddit. And for a long time, it was. There was difference, differences of opinion. There was different things posted. That's why it was fun. You'd go on there, and you never knew what would be on the front page. There would be something crazy there that you'd never heard of, and you'd learn stuff. I mean, I, I randomly the other night, I was on Reddit. Somebody mentioned something about octopuses, and I'm like, before I know it, I'm like 20 minutes into exploring that, you know, octopuses can actually almost change their shape when they try to camouflage to other things. I didn't know that. <laughs> You know, but that's an example of learning through this sort of stuff. But when random stuff is brought up and upvoted by your peers, I think just like that uh, that that well written article says, it it holds value to you, and uh, they've basically figured out how to take control of that. There you go. And rant. I think that I think that's a good rant to end on. Well, there you go. So it's been a slow news week. Um, appreciate everybody hanging out with us, checking out another episode. 
Uh, if you want, in the show notes, it's video of an Iraq war vet who died in a Texas jail after being mar- mauled by riot guards. I don't encourage you to watch that unless you're into that sort of thing. I, I did watch it. It was not awesome. Of course, um, the guy, you know, he goes in. He basically goes in to serve like a two-day sentence and uh, ends up, you know, he checks in fully. So he's, a mil- he's in the military, literally in the military. He was fined, and he said instead of doing his fine, paying the fine, he wanted to serve two days. He's active duty military. Walks in on Friday night, turns himself in, leaves on a cot, or leaves on a gurney on a Sunday, dead. Hmm. Wow. Texas jail. How could something go wrong so, so wrong so fast? Um, and then, if you don't mind, uh, actually, it's, it turns out to be a super duper long story, but I'll just read the, uh, I'll read the, uh, a title and everybody else can go and check it out after this. I mean, I really wanted you to read it, but it's way too long to read at this point, but, uh, Iraq counts on magic wands to stop ISIS. And basically this is a huge story about how there are <laughs> wands being used at Iraq checkpoints throughout the country that... Don't really do anything. Don't really do anything. They're magic. They're magic. Uh, They've got security theater in Iraq, too. Security theater over there. Exactly. So uh, we'll throw that in the show notes, and I encourage people to go and check that one out. It really is a fascinating read. That one's from the Daily Beast. Iraq counts on magic wands to stop ISIS. All right. Thanks for bearing with me on that one. Andrew, I got low blood sugar and I finally started to get wound up about Reddit because it's something I am passionate about because I've been shouted down and told my children should be taken away there recently. So, yeah, uh, you know, I finally was able to get excited about that. So do you have any words of wisdom for us as we head into our day, head into the the next week, the weekend? Hey, I'm super excited because Monday is my first weekday off since January 1st. Woo! That's awesome, man. Congratulations. I am super excited because two days from now, I get on a plane and go to Florida. What? Wow. Yeah, it should be kind of fun. I haven't been to Florida since I was a young boy. So maybe we'll see. I'm hoping next week we'll do a little show from the road. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Happy Memorial Day weekend. copy of this podcast, as well as links to each story covered, are available at revelationsradionews.com. To contact Andrew and Tim, or to support Revelations Radio News, please visit revelationsradionews.com and click on the Contact tab or Support tab. Please check out the other podcasts at revelationsradionetwork.com. And thank you for your support of this podcast. My dad used to go on Sunday mornings to the uh, to the donut shop.
and he would bring back a, a big bunch of donuts, but there would always be a couple of chocolate donuts. I take the chocolate <laughs> donuts and lick them and put them back in the box. 